You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Alex Barallo. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thank you, Glenn. Good evening, Jet Nation. So tonight, Alex, we're going to uh, cover a couple couple small news items, but uh, the main, the meat and potatoes of the show is going to be uh, some draft preview. We're going to go over the our top-rated players at each position on offense, uh, spending more time on some positions than others, obviously, and we'll uh, we'll throw in a couple sleepers. We may not. I would, Alex, I was going to say, let's do our top three at each spot. I was going to say, let's do our top five at each spot. And I just thought about it. I said, you know what? Let's just roll. I mean, we'll do at least three per position. But listen, when we're talking offensive line, I have six, seven guys I want to talk about to play the interior. I have six, seven tackles I want to talk about. Um, so not just the top guys, but the, the day two guys. And like I said, throwing a, a sleeper here and there. So it's not going to be uh, – you know, limit it to three or limit it to five. Because, listen, if you're a Jets fan uh, you and you're as, you know, maniacal about this team as, as people like Alex and myself are, you're going to be looking deep at the O-line. And, you know, looking at three tackles and three guards or three interior guys isn't going to even begin to tell the story because this team needs to be looking looking long and hard at a lot of prospects. So, like I said, with with the O-line, I think we'll cover more than most positions. Uh, quarterback and tight end will cover, but that'll be very brief because let's face it, there shouldn't be a whole lot going on there. I, in all honesty, I haven't even started looking at the late round quarterbacks. I've looked at a couple of the early guys just to be able to discuss them, even though I know they won't be jets. Um, we could literally talk about quarterbacks for about 45 seconds tonight, uh, running backs. We a little bit more there because we don't know what's going on. And, uh, that's something I want to touch on Alex, the Le'Veon Bell situation. We've talked about it. He commented, uh, TMZ, I guess, caught him on the street somewhere and asked him about his relationship with Adam Gase, which, of course, was under question because when the season, well, during the season, um, Adam Gase didn't seem to know what to do with Bell. When the season ended, they asked, uh, Adam Gase was asked if he liked Le'Veon Bell or if he wanted him back. And uh, Adam Gase said he didn't know the answer to that question, which seems a bit suspect. I would think he would be the person to ask if uh, you wanted his opinion. But Gase dodged the question, said, don't ask me, ask the general manager. Um, so that, that does seem weird. And, you know, it, it, Gase, before the season, Gase didn't deny the reports that he didn't want Bell, um, or at least at the price that he was brought in. Gase did very little to use Bell to his his, uh, his full potential. So it would make sense when you hear reports that things aren't going so well. Adam Gase was asked about it, and of course, uh, or sorry, Le'Veon Bell was asked, said, no, nah, we're good, we're fine, everything's cool. And Brian Costello of the New York Post ran with that story, and, and and some others. Costello was the first one I saw that reported it. You know, Le'Veon Bell clears the air, sets the record straight, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't buy that for a second. I'm, not that not that I don't think there's, I don't, might, might Le'Veon Bell be back? I would say there's a, a slim chance because of cap ramifications. 
But I think if the Jets can find a way to absorb the cap hit, they would take the trade him, that they would do it. Um, and and when I, well, anytime I see that, anytime something just doesn't make sense, where you hear a player or a coach or, or an insider or whoever say, well, here's what's going on. When it doesn't make sense and people treat it as if, well, there we have our answer now. They've commented. Back, Alex, I don't know if you recall this. I recall it because um, it was a time when the Jets didn't really have any good players, or at least any players that were producing. But if you think back to when Bill Parcells and the Jets signed Curtis Martin away from the New England Patriots, and at that time, Adrian Morrell was the Jets' starting running back. And he was a pretty good back. Adrian Morrell was a good all-purpose guy, catch the ball, run the ball, good player. Um, and Bill Parcells was asked about it. You know, hey, Bill, you, you've just got out and signed Curtis Martin, and you've already got Adrian Morrell. What, what do you do now? you got two running backs. And Parcells said, look, I, this is great. I, now we have a – I think the exact quote was, we, we have an impressive stable of running backs. And uh, I think it was about 20 minutes later they traded Adrian Morrell. So just because just because these guys come out on record and say everything's cool and everything's great and I'm super happy and this couldn't be better, doesn't really meet, doesn't really amount to anything. Um, it's soundbite stuff, you know. Le'Veon Bell is gonna isn't gonna come out and tell TMZ that he you know that a trade is imminent and they've talked and he's gonna be moving on anything like that. So I don't think it to me in my mind it means nothing. Um, what do you think, Alex? Do, do you think that now that Le'Veon Bell has told us he's happy with Adam Gase, that all is all is you know everything everything is good to go and, and he's not going anywhere or do you think they still look to move him in the off season? Yeah. You know, situations like this, um, you know, with the rumors speculating and, and everything going around it, it just, it's hard to believe any, anyone um, because they're always going to say the right thing, the generic statement, you know, I want to be here. Everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. And like you said, you know, other situations in the past, they'll tell you, you know, front office guys, GMs, head coaches, players, there's no problems, there's no this, that. And then next thing you know, Adam Schefter or Rappaport, one of those guys are reporting breaking news that, you know, transitions are being made. So I guess it's nice to quiet down a story that has prolonged since last April, uh, March, you know, early April and has come full circle almost, you know, a, a whole year. And here we are having similar conversations about how Adam Gase feels and, you know, how Bell feels. And a lot of people were concerned about, you know, Bell's personality. Would he fit? Would he be a distraction? And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting how it's the distraction has been more of the media projection on the two individuals than from, you know, the, the actual people themselves in exception of, Gase's statement by neglecting or uh, deflecting the question about does he want Bell back? So um, I'd like to believe it. Um, I still have my doubts uh, because when everybody usually is saying one thing, you can never rule out, you know, the 1% chance that it's going to go the other way. So um, hopefully it is true and everything is copacetic between Gase and Bell. And I'd love to see what he can do. Uh, you know, with a revamped offensive line. And, and obviously we've talked at length about how a good running back can help the maturity and quarterback growth of Darnold. So 
you know, these are things that we, that we all should want to happen. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, this is the truth and moving forward, we'll be hearing less and less of this kind of, you know, chatter and rumors. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where until, until the Jets have made their final pick in the draft and Le'Veon Bell has not been traded, it's going to be a story. It's going to be, or at least it's going to be a, something to speculate on because anything is possible. And I don't know what the Jets get for Le'Veon Bell at this point. You know, there are stories, if you remember, Alex, at the deadline, not only were the Jets looking to move Bell, but the Steelers were reported. Just bizarre. Um, that was very bizarre to hear that they were inquiring about a guy that, you know, they had a lot of, uh, you know, bad publicity on and just seemed like the whole relationship um, – really got spoiled rotten and then they're they're calling you know joe douglas and, and seeing what he would do um but what you know, if, get, if you think about it Bell though back, it so but the reason the reason it, it, it was bizarre just because like you said for the reasons you mentioned but if you really boil it down a lot of the bad blood stuff was mostly a lot of times is, is more media than what's actually happening in the building and if they had traded for bell the jets would have been on the hook for so much of his salary that they probably would have had him at less than what they were offering during their negotiations. So the Steelers would have come out on top. They would have had the player they wanted at a reduced price um, with him only taking sort of six, seven weeks away from the team uh, for the 2019 season. So it was kind of a, at first I heard it, I, I kind of laughed and I thought, you know what? That's kind of a genius move. Cause if it works out, they get to say, Hey, we wanted Le'Veon. We didn't want to pay him X amount, but we were happy to pay him this much. And we ended up paying him much less. Because the Jets are on the hook for his bonus now, so they really could have come out looking looking uh pretty pretty smart there. So listen, I, I hope uh, if the Jets are going to look to make a move, I hope it's not a situation where they uh where they end up getting fleeced and you give up Le'Veon Bell for a a fifth rounder or a sixth rounder or something. I'm thinking you got to get at least a three for a player of that caliber, and especially if you're going to be picking up a portion of his salary, which is likely the case. Um, well, what did Muhammad so we, Sanu go for? And I know we're kind of derailing right now, but he went for like a second round pick. I and mean, if you're evaluating Muhammad Sanu compared to Le'Veon Bell, I'd have to think that Bell would be a higher priority, or you know, it, or at least I I, I, I get what you're saying, but list, I, but I think sometimes I, what you're saying is right. Like if you just look at the player side by side, Le'Veon Bell absolutely has more value, or is the, the much better player. But I think sometimes teams like the Patriots, you can just – did they overpay? Absolutely. But they make just it work. So, they've gotten so used to being so good for so long that a second rounder for them, if it would have fixed their receiving core, which was their hope, obviously, it would have been worth it. Um, I, they absolutely got fleeced, you know, just on its – if you just look at player performance, player, you know, and, and what guys generally command for a second rounder, the Patriots gave up too much. But it's one of those deals yep. where it's such it's such an aberration, like teams aren't going to be able to use that at, at the negotiating table. When the Jets are looking to move Le'Veon Bell, if the Jets say, yeah, but the pass gave up a two for Sanu, the team that talks to is going to say, well, we, that's nothing to do with us. The Patriots overpaid for a player. It doesn't mean we're going to do the same. Uh, and that, 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 it's such an overpay that it, it's sort of, it's just so blatant, you know. So um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see how that plays out this offseason. And uh, before we move on to the draft, the, uh, the previewing the offensive players, let's uh, a quick word. What are your thoughts, Alex, on the Super Bowl? What did you think of the game itself? 
what were some of the what 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 do you think was the turning point of the game, and uh, and your thoughts on one Tom Brady, is his I'm not going anywhere commercial, and <laughs> and what is what is this going to lead to this off season? Will, will Tom Brady be a Patriot? And let's please keep this as short as possible because I don't like talking about that guy, but it is uh it is it is a newsworthy item for the division. Yeah, we'll start with Mr. Tom and. Once I saw that little picture he put on Twitter, you know, a lot of people, you know, jumped to conclusions. Uh, I was not one of them. Um, You know, it was clearly something that nobody really knew what it was. It it was just kind of like, where is he going with this? But he's not going anywhere. Um, As we saw, the picture he put out was his Hulu commercial that aired during the Super Bowl. Um, Who knows? Maybe we live in a world where he's in another division or conference. Uh, rumors of him getting $30 million this year from the Patriots. I wouldn't doubt it. So I'm not going to put get my hopes up. I'm expecting to play Tom Brady at least twice this year, if not once, um, you know, predicated if he goes to another team in the AFC. Uh, as far as the Super Bowl, I thought it was a really good game. I was very shocked with the first three quarters. Uh, I just kind of felt that we weren't seeing the Patrick Mahomes that we had seen all year. And uh, just maybe their momentum had run out. But, you know, we've seen plenty of games where, you know, the Jets are doing well for three quarters of the game and then blow it in the fourth. And that's kind of how I see it. You know, San Francisco took their foot off the gas pedal. Um, You know, they didn't go and finish them off and and be aggressive, you know, as you should have, because it's what do you got to lose? It's the last game of the year, you know, for everything. And I just kind of feel that the 49ers uh, went back on their heels a little bit and Mahomes and and all those playmakers that he's got just did what they needed to do to make plays. And it ended up being a real good one. Um, I was very surprised. You know, if you you didn't see the game and you looked at the score, you would think that Kansas City, you know, pretty much had this the entire game, but that was not the story. And very, very strange to – to see a team that was talked about so well and so much in the 49ers to to just, you know, kind of fall on their backs in that fourth quarter. And a little unfortunate for them, but all in all, a uh, great way to end the season. I thought, um, I, I thought, as you said, it was it was closer than the box score indicated because it was, it was close late in the game. I thought it would be a little you know, I, I said before the game that I thought it would be an absolute blowout if Casey jumped out early, but I didn't think that would happen. I, I thought it would be a really good game. I actually put a little bit of money on – I can't even remember. placed a few, but I think I did mostly props. Like one of them might have included a 49er win. I, I thought I thought their defense was going to be a little bit more than the Chiefs had seen during the season. I didn't think they would shut them down, but I thought Mahomes would struggle more than he has – which he actually did. Um, and I don't know, man, I, I watched that game and it's, it's funny cause a few, uh, a few chiefs fans got pissed off at me on Twitter. I don't know if, I don't know if they saw something in a retweet or if they assumed that I was a, a 49er fan. Cause I really had, it's funny. I, at different points in the game, I was rooting for different teams. I, I just wanted to see good plays. So I didn't care who won, which is kind of nice, you know, and I love defense. So I kept rooting for both teams to sack the other quarterback. Um, I was like, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a defense guy. And um, that to me, the biggest play of the game, and I know 
there were missed calls, there were questionable calls, there were blown calls, there are in every single game. But that that the first deep play down the field, uh, when uh Mahomes, you know, took that, that twenty five step drop and, and flung it you know, down the left side of the field and he and hit Tyreek Hill, um because you know, because that was a big play and because of the monster game Bosa was having, I was watching him the whole play, pre snap and all that. And I mean, was it Schwartz was the tackle? I mean, he, he basically had Bosa in a headlock, like had his arm wrapped around Bosa's neck while he was trying to get to Mahomes. And Mahomes is dropping back, and I'm like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? Where's the flag? No flag, no flag, no flag. Ball comes out. Bosa still gets the QB hit, still hits him despite being in the headlock, and uh, they complete that huge pass. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God. That, I mean, that, I, and I, I'm all for let them play. Biggest, it, you know, it's a Super Bowl. Don't make ticky-tack calls. But to me, that would have been a ticky-tack call. I mean, the guy literally was uh, putting Bosa in a headlock to stop him from getting to the quarterback. That, that to me, and when that, as soon as they made that play, I was like, oh, my God. If that's, if that's the play that starts this turnaround, like, that's, re- that's such a bad job by the refs. And um, a few people got upset with me. But I, and I think it was Daniel Jeremiah, somebody, the next day tweeted what a great throw it was uh, from Mahomes. But they put in the tweet in parentheses, yes, Bosa was held, but. And I'm like, that's a big but. Like, it, yeah. That's the only reason the throw got off is because Bosa was held. So uh, that, that's a tough one to swallow for, uh, for the Niners. But listen, Kansas City is an amazing city. I don't know if you've been out there. I, abs- I, only, I got a chance to visit once several years ago for a few days. And uh, good people, beautiful part of the country, very happy for Chiefs fans. Got to like Mahomes. Um, so good for that. And Andy Reid, how are you not happy for Andy Reid? The guy's been coaching for a million years. Classy move by the Eagles to tweet out after the game that it was his time. So, uh, you know, congrats to Andy Reid. Congrats to, you know, a great football city in Kansas City. And uh, and going back to the part of the question you answered first, uh, the Brady thing, I was convinced he was going to be gone. And I still think there's a good chance of it. I think he wants to... Uh, I've said for years that I thought at some point Belichick and Brady were both going to want to prove that they could win one without the other guy because they haven't done it yet. And I think Brady wants to show he can. And I think San Diego is the once, especially once the Chargers said they were moving on from Phillip Rivers, which they backpedaled, but that's a PR move. It is a bad look to announce before the preseason, before the offseason even comes that you let it leak that you're moving on from the guy who's been with you for that long. Yeah. I think that's a bad Jets move. fans complain. Imagine if the New York did what they've done to the fans that they've done in, well, I'm about to say San Diego when I'm supposed oh to say Oh, my God, Angeles. man. Uh, what people would be rioting. And, and how do you not see that coming? Listen, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care. L.A. is the worst sports city in America. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't. Everybody says, oh, East Coast biased. There's a reason for that. It's because if the fans in L.A. don't even care about the teams. I remember, I can't remember if we discussed this, Alex. When the Rams first moved back out there, I was still living in the U.S. And I was driving to work. I used to listen to Sirius XM NFL football every morning on my drive to work. And former offensive lineman, current Sirius host, Ross Tucker, was on. And he was talking about the Rams opener in L.A. And he had flown out to L.A. for the game. And he said from the time he got off the plane until, I guess, Sunday morning or kickoff, whenever, at whatever point, from the time he got off the plane, he said he asked probably some uh, 15, 20 people 
what their thoughts were on the game. None of them knew it was being played. They didn't eat these cab drivers, waitresses, every service person he encountered, hotel, everywhere. What do you think of the game this week? What do you, and they just look at him. The what? Who? They don't even know they've got a team. And then you bring a second team into a city where they don't want one team. No one's going to these games, dude. They are going to play in front yeah. of empty stadiums, you know, relative to other football teams. It's going to be a disaster. And they had an awesome fan base in San Diego. They had a great fan base out there. They loved that team. And I don't know who the hell was the the mastermind behind this, but they moved out to a, a smaller city, yes, but one that actually cared. So now you're going to be uh, playing in front of empty stadiums. Anyway, that's enough about other teams. I hope Tom Brady leaves New England. Um, Amen. Draft preview. So we're going we're gonna to do offense tonight, Alex. Next week we'll do defense. And like I said, positions like quarterback, tight end, not a great need for us to go in depth on those. Although I will say, and I may have told you this once before, I've mentioned it on the air before, with two or three years in a row it happened. It happened with Leonard Williams. It happened with Jamal Adams. And a, t- a little bit with Quinn and Williams this year. I watched some of him. But first-round picks – that going into the draft, you know, when you're I'm going through which players I'm going to watch closest, L- Leonard Williams, I don't think I watched a single snap of his leading up to the draft. Because I was like, man, I'm a Jets fan. Uh, why the hell am I going to be watching D linemen? That's the one thing they're mm-hmm. not doing. They got Mo, they got Sheldon, they got Snacks. They got a million holes. I was, I was digging deep on the wide receivers, on the O-linemen. I, I knew Leonard Williams' name. I knew he'd been talked about as one of the top. I mean, when I say I didn't watch a single snap, like I saw not where I sat down and said, let me watch some Leonard Williams now. Like I saw him on some highlight reels. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, yeah, this guy's going to be because he's not going to be a Jet. Didn't watch a single Leonard Williams snap. The Jamal Adams year, I watched a little bit. But honestly, I thought they're not going safety at six. And if they do, I want Malik Hooker. I want the guy who gets interceptions. Jamal in his three years of college had, what, two or three picks, basically averaged yep. one interception a year. I thought they don't need a guy who intercepts the ball once a year. They give me a guy like Malik Hooker who can cover 40 yards to get to the ball and intercept it. Um, so I watched close to, well, again, a little more Jamal, but very little Jamal Adams. Watched a little bit, thought, wow, impressive player, really good, but I want offense or I want the guy who intercepts the ball. And then last year, Quinnen Williams, I watched him because he was. I thought he was so good, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm thinking as the, as the draft got closer, I think I even did mock him to the Jets. I watched a little more because I felt like there was better and better chance they would take him. But uh, basically, yeah, what, what I'm anytime I completely overlook a guy and say there's no way, that's the dude they take. But I'm confident that it will not be a quarterback this year, Alex. Uh, at least not in the first six rounds. Project in round seven, perhaps. But uh, so, yeah, QBs and tight ends we'll spend very little time on because between between Herndon and Griffin, they're set there. Even if you take a guy in the seventh round, whatever, we're going to focus on running backs, O-line and quarterbacks. That's going to be our or sorry, receivers is going to be our main area. So just just for the sake of doing it, Alex, who are your top three quarterbacks in this draft? And um, 
Where where do you see them landing? Who, where do you see uh, some of the the the, uh, the top three quarterbacks going? Uh, so yeah, basically Burrow um, consensus number one to Cincinnati. I think that's pretty easy. Uh, I think Tua Tagliola is the interesting catalyst of this draft. I think his health and how things progress with you know his ability to participate in certain drills. Uh, throughout this combine process and, you know, other things will really, really have a big factor on, you know, whether or not somebody tries to trade up to that number three spot where Detroit's at. Because a lot of people seem to think that Detroit's not in a position to take a quarterback. Uh, You know, for me personally, who's a big fantasy, you know, guy, um, Matt Stafford had a really, really bad back injury last year. And uh, it definitely hurt me when it came to the playoffs fantasy-wise not having my number one quarterback and I don't know. I mean, he's not getting any younger, so I can totally see Tua take going in that three spot. Um, A lot of people seem to think Detroit's comfortable, but I could totally see a team like maybe Miami or a team like San Diego, who we or here we go again, the chargers, I'll just say um, jumping up to go get that Tua uh, for sure. And then I think the consolation prize out of the top three would be Justin Herbert and I think that Herbert's going to be just fine, uh, but I do think that there's a little bit of separation between Tua and Burrow, and that would be my top three. Yeah, I think that's um, from from what I've read and from what I, you know, my my opinion looking at the three, I think that um, that seems to be a pretty pretty popular way of stacking the the, the top three quarterbacks, and and I that's how I have them now: Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. And I think that, listen, everyone knows the hip injury is going to be a big issue if two was hoping to go as early as many projected early on in the process before he got hurt. And Burrow is a guy who just, listen, he was so lights out. It's it's one of those things you hate you hate seeing your team take a one-year wonder. But, you, like, when when that one year is one of the best years in the history of college football, and, yeah. and it's, it's of course, it's not as if he's a guy who was bad before that. He was just a guy who didn't get a shot. And once he did, obviously Joe Burrow just set the damn world on fire. So I think he deserves to go first. I think Tua, I think you make a good point. I actually looked at a mock a few minutes ago. Uh, Sports Illustrated had Miami trading up with Detroit to grab uh, to grab Tua. Capital, that, why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I real I hope they do because, Jesus, I sure as hell don't want the Dolphins adding, you know, four, you know, what, five, six guys in the top 100, whatever they have. Give some of those picks up to Detroit. Um, and yeah, Herbert, I think Herbert, I'll tell you what, man, um, if, if you're the chargers, even if you, even if Tom Brady calls and says, I want to come home to California, give me a two year deal, San Diego. I don't think that stops you from taking a quarterback in the first round, because if you can have a Herbert or anybody, any quarterback that falls to you that you like, you can have them sitting. I mean, I know in today's NFL, you look at the trend, like when quarterbacks are taken in round one, they start that year, especially top 10, top 15, even if it's not the plan, look what happened in Cleveland. You know, Baker Mayfield didn't even get a first-team snap in the preseason. By week five or six, he was starting. Yep. When you, when you go in the top five, top ten, and you're a quarterback in the NFL in this day and age, you're starting by the end of the year. And I don't think that would be the case. I wouldn't completely dismiss it. Because, listen, the, the thing you don't – the unknown right now with Tom Brady, people talk about, oh, he didn't have the weapons, he didn't have the weapons. I get that. But Tom Brady's had years before where his weapons weren't that good. He never looked as bad as he did this season. 
I mean, he had a good five, six, seven game stretch where he was completing 51, 52% of his passes. That just does not happen with Brady, no matter who his weapons are. Their defense was keeping them in a lot of games. Exactly. It's never happened before. And people say, oh, he's going to be back. You think he's going to get better? Like that that was the worst we've ever seen him and you think he's gonna get I mean that would be that would be hilarious. That'd be great if Tom Brady went somewhere else and then Justin Herbert, you know, takes the starting job by week nine and Brady's a backup for a couple of years. Eventually um, all these great players hit hit the wall and you know, they become a former shell of themselves. They still have yeah, the listen, same tenacity mentally, but physically it's just there's not, you know, there, no there's, one there, beats time. There there aren't many guys who, who play at a high level into their forties. Um, and when they do, that's why it's big news. And Brady has, but it looks like we're, we're starting to see his decline. You know, how many, how many times do we hear people mention Daryl Green, and rightfully so? That was a, a 42, 41-year-old corner who was still running in the 4-3s. It, these guys are like once every 20 years you see something like this. So Brady certainly looks to be, again, you can talk to me about his weapons, but the, 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 the past games I watched last year, late in the season, he was, he was just missing guys by a lot. And I'm thinking, I don't care who the receiver is. He's throwing the ball three feet over the guy's head, you know, or the ball's coming out late. And it's, it's happening. It's, and, you know, the, the, for a few years there, with that, that was what you heard a lot, you know, about Brady was, oh, look, he's got average receivers and he's still elite. And he, and he did for a time. You know, he had a couple-year stretch where he had some, some good players, but not great. But the numbers were great because he was Tom Brady. Well, now the receivers are not that great, and he's completing 50% of his passes, 55% of his passes. You just don't see that from him. So as a Jets fan, you hope it's the end. I mean, hell, as a football fan outside of New England, you hope it's the end. But, again, that's, uh, those are the top three quarterbacks. In terms of the Jets possibly taking one in round six or seven, we'll see. My, my preference, honestly, would be to get a vet, even if you bring Simeon back. or I'd love to see Mariota as a backup, but I, just, I think he's, he's a guy who – I think could land in New England um, if Brady bails. And I mean, Jesus, if Bill Belichick went to Super Bowl with Marcus Mariota, I mean, Bill Belichick would like nothing more than to win it with a guy who uh, who was previously seen as a bust. But that uh, moving on from that, as we discussed earlier, the running back situation, Le'Veon Bell could very well be on his way out. Bilal Powell, long in the tooth, although you know, and, and I've been saying this for years about Powell. He's not, he's not as old as his age set in football years. He's not as old as you would think just because low carries, low, low, uh, low number of carries through college and his pro career. He's probably got, uh, probably got the mileage of a 28 year old at this point. Uh, but of course the injuries are a concern and he's a free agent. But if you, if, if you don't bring Powell back and Bell could possibly be dealt, but I mean, who's that? What you got Trenton Cannon? I mean, there's gotta be a running back somewhere. So whether it's free agency or the draft, where, me personally, I listed uh, my top four, Alex, and, and a sleeper who I know we've agreed on through, uh, through some, some brief chats on Twitter. But uh, DeAndre Swift out of Georgia is my one. My two, I kept flipping. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins. I like Taylor a lot, but I, I feel like, and, and I could be wrong, this was off the top of my head, I feel like he has a ton of carries, which worries me. If I'm wrong about that, then he's my two. Dobbins, three. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU is my four. And my sleeper, who could be around in the sixth, seventh round, is Reggie Corbin out of Illinois. I watch him, and I feel like I'm watching uh, a young Leon Washington, which would not be a bad thing as a, as a change of pace uh, 
off the bench kind of third down back who can take it to the house. And uh, th- those are my top backs. What do you have, Alex? Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same length as you. Um, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, um, 1A, 1B as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of people have Dobbins, uh, number one, um, who's also phenomenal. And I'd be completely, uh, you know, content if free agency worked out and he was available and say like, you know, third, that first third round pick or something crazy like that. I think you'd really, really have uh, a tandem and a force. And in the event that you do trade somebody like Le'Veon Bell, um, any one of those, those three guys could, could be a workhorse for us um, in the event that something like that would work out on draft day. But uh, yeah, that's how I see him. And uh, as far as uh, a sleeper, I really like Darius Anderson from TCU in the later rounds. Uh, but if we were to take a chance on somebody with that second, third, or that fourth round pick, uh, I really, really like Eno Benjamin from Arizona State University. Um, He's coming from Herm Edwards out there. He's the head coach out in ASU, and uh, I've been following him for the last two years, and he's just so shifty and um, agile in the open field. Uh, you know, you don't you don't arm tackle a guy like Eno Benjamin, and he doesn't look like a lot, but what he does with his, you know, uh, quickness and elusiveness is kind of how he's going to make his uh, – his claim to fame. Now, any thoughts, Alex? And I, listen, there's like, there's like hundreds of players to watch, so I'm sure you know neither of us have watched every single guy. But have you looked at all at AJ Dillon? Because Dillon's a guy I lo- I oh, yeah. looked at some of the late round backs, and there's some big dudes. Like there's a lot of guys that are 240, 245, 250. AJ Dillon's one of them. He's listed at 250. So I thought, okay, let me take a look at this guy, expecting him to be kind of just a battering ram running back at 250. And he, he's far from a burner, but the guy's got pretty good feet. Like, he's got pretty good elusiveness for His a guy who weighs two like tree trunks. Yeah, almost more than I like, because I, I, there were actually a few plays where I thought I'd rather see him lower his head and, and, and bowl a defender over there and pick up some more yards. But just his agility for a big guy is impressive. Um, and I, I, I feel like, you know, eight, nine years ago, ten years ago, you'd want, you'd want a 250-pound back on your roster – but those guys are sort of being phased out. But have you watched any of Dylan? Do you have any thoughts on him? He's he's another sleeper I was oh, yeah. I was gonna list and I mm-hmm. didn't, but then I thought, let me just throw his name in there while we're talking about this. Oh yeah, I, I watched him every every Saturday that they were available. Um, you know, I'm a fantasy football junkie and I do college football too and I had Taylor and Eno and uh AJ Dillon as my three running backs on my team this year, so I never had a problem as far as the running back position was concerned and with AJ, just like you said, um, the negatives that people are going to throw out on him is that he's too big. Um, he he should go to fullback, probably people will say, which is crazy. Uh, you know, his receiving skills are marginal, uh, but as far as you know, being a bruiser, he he definitely has that. Um, I don't want to say like Ron Dane kind of thing, because Ron Dane, in my opinion, didn't play to his size, but he has like the agility and the smoothness of like a 220 pound back, but he carries that extra 30 pounds on the lower half of his body. And he's very hard to bring down, especially when he's got, you know, at full speed and uh, you don't arm tackle a guy like that because he's just, uh, 
just kind of like a uh, juggernaut once he gets in, in full motion. Yeah, like I said, he, he showed a lot more agility than I expected for a guy his size. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't know if I liked it or not. There were spots where I feel like it benefited him, but then there were other spots where I thought yeah, he may have gotten a little bit more if he would have just bowled the guy over instead of trying to get cute and, and, and run around somebody. But Boston um, College wasn't that great, but he still kind of thrived on a, on a pretty poor team. So that does say a lot, too. Yeah, and that that is always interesting when, when guys just are in. And this is why you can't. You can't, I mean, yes, production is nice, but far too often I see guys get written off. Say in the NFL too, you know, the number of times I have to hear, you know, hear people say this guy didn't do this well or he didn't do that well, and they just completely dismiss the circumstances around him. Like how many times have I heard people say Robbie Anderson never had a thousand yard season? Like, no, he hasn't, but he's also been in the, you know, in the the seven eight hundred yard range. In years where he's had to play four or five weeks with really atrocious quarterback play, I mean, there's no there's no disputing that two years ago he was a lock to go for a thousand yards until Josh McCown got hurt and Bryce Petty came in and Petty was a total disaster. And I think uh, I think he still finished with what was he seventy yards short or something like that when he wasn't he had a quarterback who couldn't get him the ball. But anyway, anyway, moving on, uh, we just talked about Robbie Anderson. Now receivers, Alex. I got to tell you what, man, all all preseason, even more so during the college season, I just kept hearing about how deep this receiver class was. It's one of the deepest classes ever. It's, there's going to be so many good receivers, blah, 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 blah. And that, you know, as I, as I watch during the year and now that I'm digging deeper now, I'm, I'm believing the hype, man. I'm, I'm seeing guys mm-hmm. that might be there in the fifth round, in the sixth round, who could be good players. That I'm, I'm, it, it's one of the reasons as I look at all these mocks, I think I, I wouldn't take a receiver before the the earliest I would take a receiver is, is probably, you know, un, uh, you know, unless something crazy happens, unless, unless like a, a top 15 talent falls to round two. But if boards go kind of the way m- most people are projecting, I would be totally fine if the Jets went O-line, edge, O-line, or big, basically if you waited till the second, third pick or the, your second, third round pick, or round four to take a receiver, I would be totally fine with that. I think you can find some guys that can play. Uh, my my top three, obviously, every, everyone's going to have the same top two. If you don't have the same top two, there's something wrong with you. Jerry, Judy, C.D. Lamb. Those are your top two. A uh, few different names that could be your three. Um, I went with uh, LaVisca Chenault out of Colorado. I think he's just explosive, dynamic guy. And and outside of that, I mean, not, not so much a sleeper even, but um, – you know, a guy that that you could probably you could probably take in round two, and, and at least for me anyway, I would it would be a lot a lot easier for me to for me to to digest because I actually mocked him to the Jets in a in a draft network mock the other day. But but Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State, the mm-hmm. guy he's an absolute burner. I think at the combine he's going to come out of there getting some talk as a potential first round talent. But he he's not he he's viewed as like by some people, he's the seventh, eighth, ninth receiver in this draft, and he's a, he's a really good player. And the guy you've probably seen, Alex, I've tweeted a few times about him because he, he's fast becoming my favorite player in this draft, just in terms of the the opportunity to get a a good good player for good value. South Carolina's Brian Edwards. I think I actually think Matt Miller mocked him to the Jets uh, the other day in his seven rounder. I, I think yep. Brian Edwards, fantastic hands. 
big target, makes some unbelievable catches. I would absolutely, be, I'd be thrilled the Jets added him. Antonio Gandy-Golden is another guy. He's, he's a developmental guy. He's out of Liberty. Liberty, not exactly a football powerhouse, but he's got great height. I think they list him at 6'5", 6'6", somewhere in there. And, uh, man, I, I watched as much Liberty stuff as I could find, and the guy just does a phenomenal job of going up and, and high-pointing the football to the point where I look at him and think, even as a guy who's not polished, if you got him in the sixth round or seventh round and made him a red zone guy because of the fact that he can, he can go up and, and beat, you know, he can beat man coverage, he can, he can jump up in the crowd and come down with the ball. I like him for that reason. Um, and then another guy who seemingly, it, it's weird, the, you know, the pre-draft process, isn't it? E- even though, you, you know, we're not in the war rooms. We don't know how much this stuff is changing uh, um, in their case. But very early in the process, one of my favorite guys, Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. I thought he was going to be a you know really high pick. And now I'm really not hearing his name a whole lot, not seeing him mocked as high as I expected him to be. But he's another one. So, And honestly, if, if you, you could probably pick 15 receivers in this class that I would say I'd be, I'd be fine if we got two of those guys in the fifth round, fourth round, whatever. Um, I think they could develop into quality receivers, add a veteran to go along with those two and Crowder and your tight ends, and I'd be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is like I've never, you know, and it's not like I'm a professional or anything like that, but I, I haven't seen so much talent and, and a variety, um, you know, inside guys, outside guys, guys that can do both, um, you know, players that line up all over the field, um, get involved in kind of being a bit of a gadget player and, you know, you look at a player like LaVisca Sinault, you see him playing wildcat, you see him getting involved in jet sweeps. It just kind of seems like he's the kind of guy you just want to get the ball in his hands as quickly as you can and then just let him do what he does best, which is make guys look bad in the open field. Um, you know, and then there's there's plenty of guys. If you're looking for, you know, big-bodied wide receivers that are going to dominate in the red zone, um, you know, I don't understand why T. Higgins gets this, like, second-round label. I mean, I don't know what he doesn't do well. Um, and he's one of the best um, that I've seen, you know, at elevating and getting to the catch point and, and winning, like, those 50-50 situations. Uh, you know, and then if you want more versatile guys that, you know, are a little bit quicker, you know, speedy kind of guys, you look at KJ Hamler from Penn State. He's a little bit shorter, but you know the guy's got a jetpack, um, you know, built built inside him. He's just all speed. Um, you want to talk about physical types of wide receivers? That somebody that almost reminds me a little bit of like a Quincy Anunwa, uh, uh Devin Duvernay out of uh, Texas, uh, who was at the Senior Bowl. Apparently had a really good week. Uh, one of my favorite wide receivers um, has to be Denzel Mims from Baylor, six uh, three, about two fifteen. They were raving about him on PFF. Oh, he he provides that. He, he jumped from like big guy. He jumped from like their seventieth ranked player to thirty seventh after the Senior Bowl. Yep, I, I've been watching him all year, and you know what I like about him is that he's one of those mental guys that comes with a plan, and he's playing games with the cornerbacks that are in front of him, because even. And and this is like one of the big traits for me as a wide receiver. I want to know where you're at mentally when you're not going to get the football and when you're running the ball. Because you can tell 
And I don't want to put lazy on, on certain players, but you can see when guys take off a play and they kind of jog out their, their stance and they don't even get hands in on a block because they know that the play is going the opposite way and uh, there's no need to get hands on, on, on the guy in front of them. I really don't like receivers that do that. I like a guy that comes off the line of scrimmage as if he's going to get the ball every single snap. And when you do that, it keeps that defensive back on his toes, and you can kind of change how you come out your stance and give him an inside look and then take him to the outside. You give him an inside look, and then you block him, you know, 10 yards down the field. You give him an inside look, and then you come back for a curl. Um, you just see the way he sets up his moves, and it's kind of he'll show certain tendencies in the beginning of the game, and when they go to a play where he's going to do a double move and get deep, you know, the cornerbacks are expecting what they saw earlier in the game, and they'll take that false step, and he'll make you pay for it. And and I can't – I could speak probably about Denzel Mims all night if you gave me the opportunity to, but Jets fans, if you haven't seen any uh, film on Denzel Mims from Baylor, uh, you know, go to YouTube, you know, do the search and enjoy because the kid can do it all. Yeah, and li- listen, we, we could we, we could have done a whole damn hour on receivers because uh, I'm not ready to move on yet because we haven't mentioned Van Jefferson. And, I mean, the fact Another that his dad one, yeah. is on the Jets coaching staff and the feet he showed, the quickness, the way he was able to get, get open with ease at the senior bowl. And then there's Gabriel Davis out of UCF, another guy who I felt like early in the process was, was and now we're just not, not hearing a whole lot about him, but he's a guy who was very productive at UCF six foot three. And, and again, I I can't, every time I do these mocks, Alex, I find myself taking three receivers, which normally I wouldn't do, but the value is there. You know, I'm, I'm looking at it. You get to round six and you see a guy there who you think, geez, that, that guy's around, three or four talent. You know, Brian Edwards, to me, is a round three guy. Chase Claypool at a Notre Dame, another big target. So there's yeah. a, this, is a, this is a deep draft. Juwan Jennings, I honestly... Juwan Jennings? Oh. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I was going to say, go. Juwan Jennings. I haven't watched a ton of him yet. I've watched That's a little impressive. bit. I saw him get mocked to the Jets by someone the other day. It may have been Matt Miller, I forget. But Juwan Jennings, from what I saw, I liked. I want to watch more of him. Former but quarterback it's just, and wide receiver, and I just recently heard someone say, I haven't seen a player that plays this physical since uh, Brandon Marshall. And yeah, honestly, if that's his, you know, if if that's his floor, <laughs> that that's a pretty good floor. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is, I, I don't, I I wouldn't be upset if they took three. I really wouldn't, and. And I'll tell you what you know who's bad news for. If you're Amari Cooper right now and the Cowboys are going to franchise Dak and you're hoping to get $20 million, I mean, th- there are people saying that the Jets need to jump on Amari Cooper at $20 million. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, man. That $20 million is either getting me Yannick Ngikwe or it's getting me Conklin or Beluga or Thune. And I'm, and I'm trying to bring Robbie back. And if not, you know what? That that's okay, because there are uh, maybe fifteen guys in this class. And listen, some of them are going to bust. It's going to happen. I'm not saying all fifteen of them are going to hit, because that just doesn't happen. 
but I wouldn't be surprised if ten of them hit. And that's that's a lot of that's a lot of good players. And this is uh this is a, this is a great opportunity. This is going to segue into our next position group, um, for Joe Douglas, because as far as I'm concerned, um, receiver and we'll, we'll we'll skip the tight ends for now. We might come back to it, but not an issue for the Jets right now. That being said, they're going to draft four tight ends. Um, yeah, right. yeah, between receivers and O line, it's the Jets' biggest need, and. I'm normally a guy who's – and, I, again, I, I just said it. Sign Dooney, sign Conklin. I'm all for it. Um, I generally feel like you got to get O-line through free agency because how many guys come out in the draft ready to play? Um, nowadays, it's it's less and less common because of the fact that so many teams run these these quick – these hurry-up offenses where the ball's out in a second. These guys aren't as, as seasoned. But um, – but and maybe it's just the uh, maybe it's just because I'm so hopeful because it's such a a big need for the Jets. Now it's not on par with receiver, but looking like starting with the OTs, right? Andrew Thomas, he was he was all the rage. He was he was the number one tackle, bar none, hands down, you know, absolute lock. And now we're seeing these mocks, and not not just everyone does a damn mock draft nowadays. But the more respected guys, Daniel Jeremiah, had Makai Becton as the first guy off the board at number three. We talked a, a, a month or two ago, Alex, mm-hmm. saying, is he worth taking in round two? And then a few weeks later, after I watched a couple more of his games, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's he's going to be in the conversation at 11. And I tweeted that out. Hey, how many people think this guy's going to be in the, you know, his name's going to enter the conversation at 11 for the Jets? And a few days later, Daniel Jeremiah puts out a mock and has him going number three, first tackle off the board, Makai Becton. And then everyone's saying Tristan Wirth, so he, he's the next, he's the most pro-ready guy. He's going next. Matt Miller says Jedrick Willis is the top tackle on his board. And all of a yep. sudden, it's like, well, where does this leave Andrew Thomas if these guys are right? But, and then as we discussed last week, Josh Jones at the Senior Bowl out of Houston. So now you got five tackles that, that and I'm going to get your thoughts on the tackles first Alex then I want to talk about um, reaching for players because that's been a conversation because of this but there are five guys Alex you asked me to rank them the other day and I did you know what that has no value because I change it every 10 minutes I watch this guy <laughs> every time I watch Mekhi Becton he's my number one because I watch him put a hand under a guy's armpit and throw him six yards I'm like yeah he's my number one then I have to remind myself he's he's playing against guys who are not going to be professional football players sometimes. Andrew Thomas is a guy, you know, and 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 Willis. Big, big programs. Worf's coming out of Iowa where they just they just kind of a different breed in that in that world. The Iowas, Nebraska's, Michigan's, um, Wisconsin, those teams just they just get dirty in the trenches. And then Josh Jones, a good point I heard. I listened to a it was a PFF podcast the other day. Because he's a a four year guy, and because he's at Houston, he's probably the most polished pass blocker in the group because he's had more reps in pass protection. Because that's all they do is throw the ball down there. So he's probably got you know hundreds you know hundreds more opportunities to pass block than uh, than guys like Thomas Beckton Wirfs. But um, th- th- that's my that's my thoughts on these guys right now. I, I would I'm going to stick with the the preseason or the regular season. I'm going to say Thomas is the number one guy based on production, based on where he went to school, big school. But I'm putting Becton, too, 
even though a month ago I would have had him at five or four. I'm going with Wirfs at three because I think he's just an absolute mauler. And really, Will, I would say Wills and Wirfs are the two that I would flip the most because I can't decide. And then Josh Jones would be my number five, uh, with my sleeper being Calvin Throckmorton out of Oregon, mainly because I like the fact that he's, I think he'd be he'd be able to do a, a serviceable job at tackle or guard. So what what are your thoughts on the tackles, Alex? And then I'm just going to touch quickly on uh, on reaching for a guy that may not be necessarily 11th on your board. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat that you are. I have Wills as my number one. Um, Andrew Thomas, two, Beckton, three. I have Josh Jones a little bit ahead of Tristan Wirfs. I don't know what it is. I, I Maybe it's just the, the last few games that I've watched, but I just see a little bit of fundamentals here and there where, you know, he's extending him his upper body and, and coming up with air and getting his shoulders over his knees and not having his feet in proper position. And, you know, every now and again, you, you do that from the right tackle position. The quarterback can see it because that's not the blind side. And, you know, Darnold's mobility, he might be able to work around something like that. But then I think about him on the left side. And if you still have some of those footwork tendencies and you're miscuing your hands, um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, puts quarterbacks uh, in detrimental uh, situations. So I need to watch a little bit more on worse. I'm not as high on him as, as some others. Um but, you know, this is just kind of, you know, I call it how I see it. Um, I, I really like what I've seen from Josh Jones. Uh, I, I recently just watched the game from Oklahoma. And um, uh, what was the other game that I saw him on? Regardless, um, I didn't see him let up a single pressure. Um, and he's not the most physical guy. He's not like Jedrick Wills or like Makai Becton, that's going to make you eat the dirt. And then if you try to get up, he's going to belly flop on you and, and make you wish that you just stayed down, um, you know, in the first time. Uh, but he just does his job. And um, I, I like his, the reach. I like the footwork. Um, he's not, you know, as big or as wide as the other tackles in these prospects. But I just kind of feel that, you know, him being a basketball recruit, and having that footwork and the agility and, you know, that good eye-hand coordination, um, the reach you can really see, um, I just kind of feel you give him a year or two of an NFL regimen, and he's probably going to be one of the better pass protectors, um, you know, on the, te- on the team that he's on or, you know, maybe in the league. So, um, you know, as far as reaching for guys and, oh, you know, he's ranked 15th, you shouldn't take him at 11. How many years do we hear, oh, the Jets took this player when they had that player six picks later? You know, you can't play it both ways. Um, if you if you watch the tape, he interviews well. He's he's a football guy in and out and loves it, lives it and sleeps it. Uh, and you feel that he can do the best job protecting Sam Darnold. Pick him with confidence is how I feel. Um, I'm not into the whole, you know, McShay has him here, Kuiper has him there. It doesn't mean anything. It's all an educated guess. And, you know, we can only tell after two or three years who was right and who was wrong. So uh, I'm very comfortable with any of those top five guys. Um, you know, as I stated, if we were to have Wirfs in a situation, um, please sign Kelvin Beecham to play the left, keep Wirfs at right, and then that'll give us a little bit more time to find another blue-chip guy on the left side. So that's how I would see the tackle position. Yeah, so I agree. The, the thing with reaching – now, I, I'm not saying you, you take a guy who's, you know, 25 slots early 
But when I hear people say, you can't take Josh Jones at 11, that's a reach. Maybe, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the kicker to me. Maybe if we trade down to 18, you grab him there. And I'm thinking to myself, let's say that, let's say that scenario unfolds. Let's say the Jets move down to 18 or 19 or whatever, and they draft Josh Jones. What's the expectation? You're going to come out of that saying, this is awesome. We got an extra couple picks. We moved down, and we solidified the left tackle position for the next 10 years. So what would be wrong with doing that at 11? If there's no team, right. you get one first rounder. That's it. You don't get to decide or choose where you pick. You pick where you pick. So like I said, I'm not saying that you say, oh, man, we really need a running back. And the best one on the board is the, the, the 46th player on our board, but we're going to take him at 11. That's a totally different ball game. But when you're telling me you're not going to take a guy because of five or six or seven or eight slots, that makes no sense to me. What's the priority here? Fix the O-line. What about Josh Jones? Oh, I don't like him at 11. What if we got him at 19? That would be awesome. Either he can play the – you either believe he can play the position for 10 years or you don't. Yeah. And if you do, you take him at 11. Why? Again, because Mel Kuyper told you that he's 19th or whatever the hell. I don't know where my Kuyper has the guy. He might have one. I don't know. I'm just saying. Listen, uh, we do this for fun. We, as, as atrocious as this team is more times than not, clueless as the head coach may be, in my opinion, this is a fun thing to do. It's a hobby. I, I watch the players. I decide who I like. Alex watches. He decides who he likes. Sometimes I'll be right. Sometimes I'll be wrong. It, it goes the same for everybody. But we, we don't know what these, we, these draft boards look like. We don't know where the Jets have these guys ranked. So all, all I'm talking about is who are the players available and what are the needs the Jets have? And if you're telling me that a guy like Josh Jones is worthy of a mid-round pick, mid-first-round mid pick to you know late-first-round pick, but because the Jets are eight picks ahead of that, they shouldn't take him. That makes no sense to me at all. At all. Again, I'm not talking rounds. I'm not saying draft a guy two, three. Is not pretty. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying, you know, draft a, a second, third round guy with the eleventh overall pick. I'm saying, and you know, that that was something someone said to me. Oh, I don't, I don't want the fifth best tackle with the eleventh pick. It's a deep tackle class. What do you want? Like, it's not, it's not like there's one good tackle, and I'm saying take one of the other four bums below him. You're looking at it saying, and out of you the got, five, Jones is one of the true left tackles. And like and you said, that, he's got the most experience out of everyone in this group. So he's going to be the most polished. More? Yeah. Most polished pass blocker. And that's the thing with Werfs. I don't know if you saw Alex D in that mock that Jeremiah did do. He had Werfs coming off the board early, but he had him as a guard. You don't even think he's a tackle. I don't, I mean, he won't be a left tackle. I know that. And they moved him around quite a lot. Like, I saw the way that they schemed. Sometimes they would bring in an extra lineman and put him at right and then kind of throw worse as a jumbo left tackle. And then there were other plays where I saw him playing left. And then in the next series, he's back to right tackle. So, you know, I get the, the swing, you know, capability left or right, you know, plug and play. I've heard all that. Just very interesting how they, they kind of interchanged him and moved him around. 
Um, yeah, and it I just, just I, I'm just get questions. What was he doing? Or you know, maybe I need to watch this other left tackle that he was playing with. What did he have that Worfs didn't? Yeah, I just I I don't think that uh, I I think if you're going to take a tackle, it's it's got to be one of the guys who who again is more of a true left tackle. Thomas Beckton and Jones are your legit left guys. Wills remains to be seen. Werfs, everything I've read says he's a right tackle and possibly a right guard. So that to me, if he's dominant, fantastic. I'm not saying I'd be upset with the pick. You know, there there are a lot of directions the Jets can go this offseason that would confuse me, but I wouldn't hate it. I mentioned Amari Cooper earlier. If they did go out and give him $18 million, I'd be like, all right, well, not how I would have done it, but you've made the offense much better, and that's that's the goal. But my hope is that uh, build the O-line and sticking with that, sticking with the O-line, going on the interior now. And we're not going to do center versus guard because really some of these guys are going to move. We don't know who this guy might be drafted by that team and they view him as a center, but the other team might take him and they see him as a guard. We're just going interior O-linemen. And again, I got a bunch of these. I, I might be wishful thinking. I might be convincing myself that some of these guys are better than they really are because I so desperately want the Jets to be able to repair their interior. Um, go ahead and give me the guys you have, Alex. Give me your, your top guys and, and throw in one or two sleepers if you like. Okay. Um, for the interior guys, uh, we talked about him, I think, a little bit last week. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, the center out of LSU, uh, really liked what he has to offer. Um, his running mate, Damian Lewis, who played right guard, um, those guys are like bash bros. Uh, if you were to figure out a way to get both those guys, um, you know, you want to talk about the team offensive line gelling, you know, exp- uh, expeditiously, um, that would probably be the best way to do it because they have history together. Um, I really liked John Simpson from Clemson, uh, Ben Bradenson from Michigan, um, who also played with center Cesar Ruiz. Uh, there's so many good guys in here. Um, Tyler Viadas, we talked about him also from Wisconsin. And um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen him when you were watching uh, Andrew Thomas. But the left guard, Solomon Kinley, um, was another guy that kind of jumped out to me. Um, you know, six foot five, I think, 330, 340 pounds, something like that. Um, just a monster of a man. And, you know, you want to talk about getting hog mollies for the offensive line. Uh, I kind of feel the bigger, the better. Um, and if I had to go with sleepers here, I really like Shane Lemieux out of uh, Oregon, uh, left guard, and uh, Nick Harris, uh, who played center out of Washington. Um, like you said, there's so many, you know, interior O-line maybe deeper than the tackle position, but it just kind of seems that uh, you don't really see too many interior guys going in, in the first round unless if they're like super freak athletes. Um, but day two, second round, third round, there's plenty of interior starters to be had. Yeah, I've I've noticed, and again, it's, you know, there's so many mocks at this point, but so many people and it's, you kind of, it makes you question what you're looking at. Like I, a guy you mentioned who I mentioned the other day, Tyler Biadish. I've, I've talked about him quite a bit. He, through this whole process, he's been my favorite interior guy. I know he had a shoulder injury, but I, I've seen him mocked. I saw him uh, in an NFL, you know, and I try to stick with at least the, the somewhat mainstream guys. 
the Jeremiah's, the, the, the NFL.com, CBS. Um, they had Biotis going 75th. And I'm just like, Jesus, I remember thinking that in my mind, there was no way he'd be available in, in round two because he's you know, top center in the country in, in the eyes of a lot of people. And a lot of people think he's good enough to play guard. And I watch a few Wisconsin games, and the guy just consistently wins at the point of attack. Consistently. And I don't, I don't see how he makes it to pick 75. But I'd be pretty upset if he did, if the Jets hadn't addressed it at, you know, by that point. But Cushenberry, don't think he'll be there in round two, but fantastic player. Cesar Ruiz seems to be a guy who's rising a little bit from, you know, from what you're hearing from people. Uh, Natani Mutai from Fresno State. Some injury history there, but uh, I was I was listening. To this, I, I watched him. I think you either one of us tweeted something about him. If it wasn't me to tweet oh, it, yeah. it's because I remember I'm confusing which one of us did because I had been watching him like that day or the day before and was very impressed with him. Um, I think I mocked him to the Jets that day or something like that. I forget, but I know we were both talking about him around the same time. I heard them say on PFF the other day, I think they, he's their number one interior offensive lineman. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, or like top 30, something like that. But Beatish, who I mentioned, Matt Hennessy, Temple, a lot of talk about him. And it, it could be my bias because, of, because I like Beatish. But when I watch both of them side by side, Beatish comes away more impressive to me. Like just, just, just watching the games and seeing who's winning at the point of attack. And I, I, feel, like I, I feel like I see Beatish doing his job better on a more consistent basis than Hennessy. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see how it turns out. But Robert Hunt, Louisiana, another guy strong as an ox on the interior, plays guard. Nick Harris out of Washington, the guy you mentioned, looked super quick at the Senior Bowl. So I went and watched a couple of Washington games. And uh, I I would say I would have him and Beatish over Hennessy. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong. We'll see what happens on draft day. But um, from what I saw from the couple games I watched, because, you know, listen, I – who has the time to go watch, you know, 15 games from every single prospect. You watch a couple games. God bless the people who post entire games to the internet and splice it up so it's just offense. And you can watch a guy take 30, 40, 50 snaps in 10 minutes. Um, pause it, slow it down, rewind yeah. it. So that, that's ideal. God bless those people. Those are the real heroes out there. <laughs> exactly. Not all heroes wear capes. They might even be wearing capes. And if so, they deserve it. Fantastic <laughs> job. Um, we judge. Exactly, exactly. Uh, sleepers, a guy you mentioned, I'm throwing him in as a sleeper because, uh, I, I don't, again, I feel like a few, I feel like late in the college season during the bowl season or during their bowl game, I heard his name a lot, but not a lot since then. Ben Breedison out of Michigan. I think, I didn't realize how young he was. That's the other, that's the other, he's like 20 for an interior lineman to be playing that many years in Michigan. That that's a grown man. Like that, that dude, that's impressive to play at the level he played at, at such a young age at such a powerhouse conference, again, that, like I said, those interior offensive lines, those offensive lines, full stop. Um, so that's impressive. And my, my late, you know, th- this guy could be late enough to be undrafted, but I, I think he played well enough the East-West Shrine game that he will get drafted. But uh, Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana, another guy who's super strong guy, um, may not have the best technique, have to clean that up a little bit, but really, I think a, a, a late-round developmental guy. And I, I look at you know, I, I said earlier I would, I'd be happy if they took three receivers. I'd be happy if they took three three linemen. I mean, I really just want to see. Well, I I guess with the lineman thing, 
I think the goal is going to be to do enough in free agency that they won't have to draft three of them. But if they don't, I think you got to take three. I think if Robbie walks, you got to consider three receivers. I, I think this draft is going to be so heavily, um, so so strong on offense because I think you're going to see, like I said, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm going to make a run at, at uh, Yannick Ngakwe. He's going to be my top priority. And then I'm going to try to get at least one of the free agent corners, maybe a, a Roby or somebody like that, bring Brian Poole back, see what Bless Austin can do in year two. And uh, so then you've got an edge guy. You've got your your starting your two starting corners, and you know you, you go you go get a mid lower level one or two guys. Um, you know, as we've said, not everybody's going to be a splash signing. But I think with 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 Ngakwe and uh, even I mean I think it was clear by the end of the season that uh, that Greg Williams was just he, he was masterful with that defense, the things he was able to do. And if you if you if you're gonna if you're gonna tell me they add Ngakwe and then Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley come back, and you add a, a mid-tier corner, and uh, and bless Austin, like that. Those are some serious upgrades across the board, and and Quinn and Williams going into year two, who I I think is uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those. It's a, I really I really thought Alex and a lot of people had given up on Quinn and Williams. I threw up a quick poll on Twitter the other day. I w- and it, it was refreshing to see. Like 92% of people were like, it's way too early. The problem is when you get the crazy people who give up on a guy after 10 seconds, they're the ones that yeah. just like barrage Twitter with how terrible he is. And you just see all these tweets, and it seems like a lot more than it actually is. Um, but I think that with a, with a mid-tier corner, maybe even say two mid-tier corners with Bless Austin and pull back as your nickel, and Gakwe as your, as your edge rusher, I think there's enough there with Williamson and and and, and Mosley coming back that the, the the draft unless unless you can get a pass rusher you know if if a, if an edge rusher or a corner fall to where the value can't be passed up I have no issue if it's three O linemen three receivers a running back and and one maybe two picks on defense um, again of course it's it's all the, based on how the board falls but. I'm saying, of course, if there's roughly equal value in the players they're looking at, and if, if it's offense or defense, I think they they got to go that heavy on offense. Is that is that is that is that is that a crazy idea, Alex? To say come out of this draft with three receivers, three O linemen, let's say two, three receivers, two O linemen, and a running back, and maybe one or two defensive guys. Yeah, but I feel that. There is no way of trying to be balanced with your free agency and your draft and think that you're going to come away with, like, the best team overall. Um, If you try to go the balanced approach by, you know, taking two or three, you know, profile, high-profile free agents on offense, and then you try to get one or two defense, and then you kind of take the same approach going into the draft, you, you might just find yourself with an average team and average teams don't win Super Bowls or go to the playoffs as far as I'm concerned. So you have to be aggressive and, you know, for instance, spend majority of your free agency money revamping the offensive line, getting as much uh, quality veteran talent that you can plug and play, correct the wrongs immediately day one, 
um, you know, with a Toonie, a Shreff, a Conklin, things of that nature. And then that gives you a little bit of flexibility going into that first and second pick um, to where maybe you have that opportunity to say, okay, we brought back Beecham, we signed Conklin, and we brought in Tooney. Now we're really looking at one or two interior offensive guys that we could probably sit and take day two, day three of the draft and still be okay offensive line-wise. Or you go heavy defensively in free agency and, like you said, get as much young talent, quality talent in the draft that's going to be here for the next five to ten years that can grow with Sam Darnold. So you can't just kind of, you know, kind of weave in between and say, okay, we got a low-profile guy here, we got a high-profile guy, um, you know, we're going to take a mid-range corner and we're going to take a high-profile edge guy. And I just don't see it working out that way. Be aggressive, go all in, push those chips in, you know, Texas Hold'em style, and and, and take a gamble. Um, And so this way that we're going to the draft, we'll know, okay, defense is set. It's an offensive year for the draft. Or we've – gotten three free agents for the offensive line. Now we can look at skill position players and take a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy and then take a third round or a fourth round pick with a running back and our offense is going to be firing on all cylinders this year for Darnold. So aggressive, aggressive, aggressive is my mindset. And I just kind of hope that we don't try to bargain shop too much um, like we have in the past, and talk ourselves into hoping that players reach their ceiling as we've done year after year. And let's just be honest, uh, majority of the guys that we've gotten in free agency have not hit or hit their ceiling or lived up to expectations. So, you know, these are the things you have to kind of take into account for uh, when you're evaluating your priorities. Um, and I think that protecting Sam Darnold is by far the biggest priority Um, and where your defense is sitting you have a lot of talent on that side of the ball I really just kind of feel like a quality corner and somebody that will put pressure on the quarterback and on third down and our defense is just going to be a-okay we're going to be able to compete but if you're not able to put up points on the board offensively we're going to be looking at another sub 500 season so, got to be aggressive in all aspects. Yeah, I think that it's going to be. Uh, I, I think it's going to be an opportunity, as, as I said earlier, for 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 Douglas, where it's it's a unique position for a Jets GM to be in. Not unique in that they need a lot of talent, but I feel like over the years, the draft is always strong in areas where the Jets don't have needs. You know, their biggest area of need is either in a spot where they're not going to have a chance to get a player in that spot, or it's just a weak class in that area. But this team right now needs O-line, and we've talked about it. There are five guys, for me personally, that I would happily take at 11. One of them's going to be there. I, I was freaking out about this when I thought there was only before. Two, two things have happened that have me no longer worried about a tackle at 11, Alex. Now, it could change if someone trades up. Of course, that would trade change everything. However... Uh, the emergence of Josh Jones. So now you have five guys. 
five tackles that I would personally would happily take in the, at 11. And the Phillip Rivers situation in San Diego. Because I was convinced they were taking one of the tackles. Now you've got to figure they're taking a quarterback. So now you've taken yep. one team out of the running that needs a, that is likely to take a tackle, and you've added a tackle to the mix. If they don't, if if one of these five tackles doesn't fall to eleven, the Jets have the worst luck in history. That's just crazy. I mean, when you look, there's going to be three quarterbacks, right? That means seven other teams. Of those seven, five of them would have to take an offensive tackle. That would be just insane. Um. Uh, yeah, that I just I don't see that happening. So well, I was and I if was. If you look at each team, and you know everything's going to change when free agency free agency comes. But you look at Detroit and that high profile contract that they have with Darius Slay, which I'm sure they're trying to, you know, move away from. Why wouldn't you slide back to the fifth or sixth spot with Miami or the Chargers, and then take Jeff Okuda? Um, you know, you look at players like, um, or teams like the Giants who need everything except for quarterback and running back. So they could go offensive line, but they could very well take Isaiah Simmons and try to strengthen their defense by having a guy that plays nearly every position except for a defensive tackle. Um, and who's to say they don't take Judy? You think about they don't take Judy to pair with Daniel Jones. You'd be crazy not to think that they're not saying C.D. Lamb could be the guy that we could pair up Kyler Murray with because they already yep. have a connection from their Oklahoma days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people just seem to like, you know, kind of set these players in stone for certain teams. And I, I kind of think that, you know, they're not as naive and they're looking at other players outside the box and say, let everybody think that we're doing this because – we have our eyes set on something completely different. Yeah, I, that's the thing is, so it, it's clear. And look, I understand that not everybody. I, I don't. I I know very little compared to what I know about the Jets. I know nothing about the other thirty-two teams because I'm so heavily invested in the Jets. Um, but there are people out there getting paid by by major uh major companies. Uh, I can't even remember who it was the other day. I saw somebody mock. Uh, but it, again, it was, you know, I'm not talking about like some independent kids website. Um, it was CBS or, or one of them that had the Jets taking a, a D lineman at 11. And I just thought, what, what I mean, come on, you're, you're not even trying. If, if you're, was it Derek you're mocking, Brown or Kinlaw? <laughs> I, I think it was Kinlaw, but I don't care who it was. Yeah. <laughs> they take a D lineman at 11 and I'm, I'm checking out. I'm too, done. But... Don't even, don't, you can. I'm done. I'm not doing the show. Yeah. I'm not nothing. nothing. I'm new hobby. If they take a D line at <laughs> eleven, I, I swear to God, new hobby. Thanks for all the miserable memories, Jets. Um, but no, it, it, like oh, the meltdown. Mock. Did you see the PFF mock the other day? Do we do we it have time terrible. to chime in on that one a little bit? It was ter- what, what they have like uh, they didn't go O line to like the fifth round. Like linebacker, cornerback, it was all defense. I was like, what are they doing? Linebacker with one of our third-round picks. I was like, okay. Um, yeah. Who, who is this? Yeah. It's, I, I, think, I think they just look at, uh, I I think they just look at their rankings. They talk. I think they like, here's the PFF um, grades, and uh, we're just going to match them up. We're just going to go one through whatever. And, uh, all right, this guy's ranked 58th, and the Jets pick right around there. We'll just slot him in there. Then we're not going to look at need. 
We're not going to look at value. We're just going to just randomly. If the, if that draft were to happen, taking linebackers and corners before O line and receivers, it's just I mean, come on. Joe Douglas would be. I mean, yeah, I wonder uh, if they were trolling Jets fans there because I was like, oh my lord. Uh, that would be like to your, to your the only upside. The <laughs> only upside would be the meltdowns of our fellow Jets fans. Like, even though I would be one of them, I would still want to watch my fellow Jets fans just, you know, flinging laptops out of windows and and you know, smashing televisions because that that's what would happen. <laughs> A D lineman in the first round for the Jets. I thought, oh my god. Even like if it was I an edge rusher, it was ago, an edge rusher. I could say, Derek okay. Brown. Yeah, if it was an edge rusher, yeah. I could kind of live with it, you know. But no, that's yeah, no. I think Epinesa is the like. Okay, it's like all right. He's. I feel that he's more of a defensive end, and you know, a four-three or a three-four kind of style, and kind of reminds me of not exactly like a Leonard Williams. I think he might be a little bit better of a pass rusher, but. Like, didn't we just have somebody just like that? Why wouldn't we have kept him? Why would we go back to, to get a younger version of Leonard Williams? Like, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely nuts what goes on out there. I'm sure that if I if you made me sit down and do a, a, a you know, seven-round mock for all 32 teams, I'd have some of those same things. But I don't get paid to do it. That's the thing. If I would, you know, I would I would pick a guy on a team where – Someone who's more involved would be like, this idiot just had us taking uh, an old lineman and we've drafted one in the first round seven years in a row and we need a receiver. Something like that. Um, but uh, these people are getting paid to do it. And yeah, D lineman to the Jets. And it was someone, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to it's, it's idiotic, idiotic proposal. Um, but Bleacher, like Bleacher Report. I feel like Bleacher Report puts out some of the best and worst content simultaneously. Like they'll have one story. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And then I'll have another one. Uh, there was a guy the other day. I'll, I'll say it. I shouldn't because it was it was that stupid and it aggravated me that much. Who uh, wrote an article saying that the Jets should trade pick number eleven and their fifth rounder to the Redskins for Trent Williams oh, for Lord. a thirty-one a year old tackle with an injury history who sat out a season. Uh, and the Jets should give up the eleventh pick and the and the fifth. Like they like they should add in another pick for the honor. Um, mm. Just again, and I just read that and think, come on. But you know, I think in today's atmosphere, I think uh, writers. It's so hard for writers to to get clicks and to get work that some of these companies are just like, yeah, man, sure, we'll we'll hire a seventeen year old, eighteen year old with very little experience, very little knowledge. And just just go ahead and write, write whatever you want. Doesn't matter if you're right. No one's going to remember. If you're wrong, nobody's going to remember. Someone's going to click it, read it, say you're an idiot, and they're going to move on. Um, and that's we're so saturated with information that you can say almost anything um, in the, in the world of sports, and and no one holds you to it. And that's what I said earlier. We do it for fun. It's a fun hobby. It's uh, something to talk about. But uh, but I think I, I think we've run long, which is fine. I knew. I knew this would be a long one tonight, Alex, because uh, even, even just doing one side of the ball, uh, that's, that's, that's the two of us, that's 11 positions, that's three, four, five, six guys per spot. Uh, did you want to talk tight ends at all? Should we cover them at all? Just give your top three. 
Um, I'll, you know, I'll that go first. Probably, like you said, it, it's one of those scenarios where we're completely dismissing it, and then in the second round, the Jets take like Hunter Bryant from Washington. And not that I wouldn't be very upset with that. I think that he's probably the best <laughs> receiving tight end in the class. But you just be sitting there, just looking at the board. You know, you got this interior lineman, you got this corner that you could have went to, or this receiver, and it's like another tight end like really yeah and and this is the thing you know and you said it earlier and i i was thinking it as i was doing this list as much fun as this is it really is useless without knowing what the hell happens in free agency we're sitting here saying o-line 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 if the jets go out and sign a center a guard and a tackle and bring beecham back you're gonna be like oh well i guess we're not drafting yeah. any o-linemen until the fifth round like they literally yeah. just rebuilt the o-line in free agency um, again, not likely, but could happen. And if it does happen, all the thought, you know, they might, they, they might bring Robbie back, which means one less receiver. Um, anything can happen, but, um, it, it's a little bit of fun. It's good to familiarize ourselves and our listeners who don't pay as much attention to the draft, uh, get some, some names floating around out there, some ideas, but sure. Like I said, I'll just say for tight ends, uh, Cole came at, at a Notre Dame, Thaddeus Moss out of LSU, Bryce Hopkins. Those are my top three. Uh, excuse me, I seriously doubt, seriously doubt the Jets are going to be taking a tight end. Um, if they do, probably day three uh, project type guy. As a matter of fact, I think who was it I'll that had that? A Kobe Parkinson from Stanford in the fifth or sixth round. I'll permit that. Yeah, somebody had them taking a tight end the other day, um, and it was basically I wa- I went and I watched one of his games. And he was like a more athletic version of Trevon West, like slightly less physical, but a lot more athletic. Um, I'm trying to find who that was. Uh, who did you mention? Who did you say? Uh, Colby Parkinson from uh, Stanford. That wasn't him. Okay, South Carolina, Kyle Markaway. Um, and that is, that is courtesy of one Mr. Matt Miller. And that is, I believe, with their final pick, with their seventh rounder. Um, another guy he had, I'm just going to mention this name real quick because I mentioned him the other day as a sleeper. Um, but he seems to be climbing up uh, or getting a little bit more love now. Uh, Kendall Vildor from Georgia Southern, the corner. I know that's the other side of the ball, but uh, Matt Miller had him to the Jets as well. I had just said a couple of days earlier that I think he's a, a late round guy who could be a, a quality player. But we shall see. And next week, Alex, we will cover the defensive side of the ball. Uh, thanks so much, Jets fans, for tuning in. Alex, anything for the fans, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle, and we will log off for the evening. All right, Jets fans, it's been fun. Um, if you guys ever have any questions, um, you know, or guys that maybe you want to talk, us to talk about on the show, uh, you know, please message us. Find us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at NYJetsLife24. And, uh, Looking forward to doing the defense next week. All right, Jets fans, that is it for us this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Have a great night. Catch you next week and uh, talk some NFL draft on the defensive side of football. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time... Go Jets!